0: Thank you, Brother Wayne. And it's good to be with you again tonight. Yeah, we did. We drove around the countryside today. Marcia decided she wanted to see a yellow top and a white top buggy. And we go to Lancaster a lot. We got Amish friends there, and uh, we know all about the black tops, but uh, she wanted to see a yellow top and white top. So we got in the car, and I put it in the GPS where we wanted to go, and it it took me up mountains and down mountains, literally. Uh, We went to some places where there weren't any people left. Uh, All we saw was dead skunks in the middle of the road. It was unbelievable. But uh, we did find some white top buggies in Reedsville, but we never could find the yellow top buggies in Belleville. But maybe another trip up here, we'll, we'll find them. But uh, we had an exciting time. And we uh, went to a lot of places we'd never been before. Uh, a lot of places. But went by campgrounds and things that uh, we thought we were going to have to camp out. She was afraid I was going to run out of gas. Yeah. And I said, oh, I got it. No problem. It's OK. But, um, all right. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight. And I, I happen to be coming out of the motel tonight, heading to uh, the church here. And something caught my eye, which is the reason why we're here tonight. The reason why the church needs revival. On the front page of the daily item, I don't know if you all get this newspaper or not. Today's date, today, it says, uh Shemokin Dam, is that how you say that? Yep. And West Milton, former churches to be sold. And it's got a picture of the churches in here and it has an article about it, about the churches being sold. It said, and of course, they said COVID uh, there was no friend to the church, but churches are falling away. And the sad thing about it, these beautiful churches uh, that were at one time vibrant, they're being sold starting at $60,000. One of them sold for 138000 So if anybody wants to plant a church, uh, what an opportunity! The facility's already there. One of the churches, it says, has a bell, a brass bell in it that was made in Baltimore in 1884. And they said a lot of these churches are turned into restaurants or wedding venues or whatever. But, uh, folks, that's why we need revival. Because we're saying this is not just an isolated incident. Thousands of churches in America are closing the doors every day. Every day. It's amazing, astounding. Every denomination is in decline. Something's wrong. And perhaps maybe sometimes we try to be too much like the world to make the world want to be like us. And folks, that's not who we are. We belong to Jesus Christ. And the world needs Jesus. And uh, and the message we have tonight, it was a perfect song. You couldn't pick any uh, better songs to have had for that message tonight. I saw in there as I was watching... uh, Uh, The words of the song, and of course, I love those songs. We sang them all of our life in our church, those same ones. And um, every now and then, I kept seeing how many times the word I or me or my was in those songs. And uh, the beautiful thing about it was that is in the right context. Hopefully, by the time we finish the message tonight, we'll have that right context with our life and with God, with what was being said in those songs. Go back and look at the words again afterwards. And of course, I remember that one song, I'd Rather Have Jesus, was uh, George Beverly Shea's uh, famous song. He sang it every um, revival service, and uh, whenever George Beverly Shea sang when I was a little boy, I'd get nervous because I knew Billy Graham was coming next. And I knew he was going to be looking in that TV right to me. He wasn't going to be looking at anybody else. He was going to be looking to me and talking to me, and I'd get nervous every time. Well, I got bad news for you tonight. Billy Graham is not following the singing of that song tonight. You're stuck with me. But uh, tonight we're going to open the Word of God together anyway and allow God to um, bring a message to us tonight. The title of the message is is The Shrinking Eye. You see that little teeny man in that picture there, The Shrinking Eye. And we find it in John chapter 30, John chapter 3 and verse 30. And like again, I'll be using New King James Version, you follow along whatever translation or tablet you may have with you tonight. A simple verse, a verse that we can memorize. If you ever wanted to memorize the Scriptures, I just can't quite remember like you used to. You can memorize this one. Look at uh, John 3.30. He must increase, but I must decrease. Lord Jesus, tonight we pray in the time we have as we unpack this passage of Scripture, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to our heart. That we may have came in, Lord, a little bigger than we should be. But Lord, I pray we'll leave a whole lot smaller. I pray, Lord God, that you will be bigger in our life and we will be able to reflect the songs we have sung tonight. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Lord, what a beautiful testimony was written by someone many years ago out of the way you touched their heart. And we pray tonight, Lord, you touch our heart with this word. Lord, keep us attentive, keep us focused. And Lord, may the Holy Spirit have reign in this building tonight over every soul that's here. And Lord, may we leave saying it was good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you have an eye problem? I'm not talking about the physical eye, about seeing, but do you have an eye problem about you? If you have an eye problem, then you probably need revival. When we have an eye problem, anyone needs revival today that has an eye problem and they can have it. And our text for the day will hopefully become our motto the rest of the week. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is one on a one statement. It is you and me standing next to Jesus Christ, and we're confessing before Him, Lord, I must decrease, You must increase. You must be the one in my life that's leading and controlling my life, just like with the prayer that was prayed tonight. The little translation in the Greek is, it is necessary that one increase, but for me to decrease. It is necessary, can be translated must, and it's used three times in the Gospel of John concerning Jesus Christ. Three times we're told, three times it mu- things must happen concerning Jesus. In John 3.14 we're told Jesus must be crucified. In John 3.30 Jesus Christ must increase. And in John 20 verse 9 Jesus Christ must rise again from the dead. These things are of divine necessity. They are ordained of God. It is inevitable that they are going to happen. There's a great need that these things be fulfilled in the human race. And it's good for you and me, for Jesus Christ to increase in our life and in our spiritual relationship. And this statement concerning Jesus in John 3.30 is a present active indicative Greek. This means this truth continues to be true. Jesus Christ must continue to increase, and I must continue to decrease. It's not something that happens just one time when we're saved, but all the way through our life, through the process of sanctification, we need to be becoming less and less, and He becomes more and more. It was not just a relationship thing that he's talking about between John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, it was always true. He must continue to increase, and will continue to increase, and I must decrease. And the must statement is also given in Jesus, Jesus Christ concerning all who are saved in John 3, verse 7. It says, "...do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again." It is of absolute necessity that anyone who wants to go to heaven must be born again. You must be born again, or you will perish." It does not mean you will be born again automatically, but there is no other way you can be right with God unless you are born again. And on the other side of the equation, we find me and you, don't we? But for me, I need to decrease. The must is added in italics in the New King James Version there. In other words, in italics means it was not in the original translation, and sometimes the Greek, the way it's, it's written, uh, it writes for emphasis on the first part of the sentence, whatever the emphasis of the sentence is at the beginning of the sentence, and therefore sometimes it's harder to interpret into English exactly. But we find it, it, italics is added to add interest and understanding to what he's talking about. And because the verb form for decrease is not a present active indicative, it's a present infinitive middle. You say, well, what does all that matter? It matters a lot. Folks, the Greek matters. What, where it comes from matters. It's not how we interpret it, it's where it comes from. It's so important because otherwise we can get a wrong translation. And so, seeing the important thing of that is the decrease is a present infinitive middle. It means I myself must continue to decrease myself. See, God must increase, He's going to continue to increase, but I must decrease myself. Present infinitive means continuously and repeated not action, not a one-time action. And the reason we do not need must here is because Christ is going to increase whether we choose to decrease ourselves or not. But for me, it is necessary for me to continue to decrease. And this will be a continual need all of my life. The greatest enemy you and I face in this world today is I. I always seek preeminence. I always fight for survival. I is selfish. I want all the decisions in my life for my benefit. I never see my sin as bad as the sin of other people. I, become, I became the God in the fall, the little g God in the fall. And I is in the middle of S-I-N sin It is necessary for Jesus Christ to increase in our life every way and in every possible order. That is, I must decrease. I hinders me from knowing revival. In the account before us today, we see the rise of I in the disciples of John the Baptist. That's, That's the context of where this verse comes from. Let's look at that. The disciples of John the Baptist are starting to worry about themselves. The devil tried to make a conflict between the camp of John the Baptist and the camp of Jesus Christ, a turf war, if you will. Look at John 3:22 to26. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptized in Eon near Salim, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. But John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of the John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi. And he's talking about Jesus now. He talks to the rabbi. He's calling John the Baptist, Rabbi. And then he said, the he here is Jesus. Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he's baptizing and all are coming to him. In the chronology of the events in the ministry of Jesus, there's something that never caught my attention until I read this passage again. John the Baptist was still baptizing, and Jesus' disciples were also baptizing at the same time. They were doing this overlapping type ministry. And in John chapter 4 verse 2, it reminds us that Jesus really didn't baptize anyone, but His disciples did the baptizing. Now, obviously, we understand why Jesus Christ didn't baptize anyone, because if he did, then everybody would say, Ha, I was baptized by Jesus. You were baptized by Peter. You can kind of get the feel there. The baptisms being performed were related to repentance at that point. They were drawing the people's attention to understand they needed to repent and come to God. Now, also understand ultimately, no one is baptized who is not baptized in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Real baptism is not by water, but by the Spirit at the moment we're saved. And this baptism, only Jesus can baptize you. He will baptize you with fire, John said, which is totally different than what John was doing. Now, John the Baptist was ordained by God for the purpose of being the forerunner of Christ. The spiritual condition of Israel was like a wilderness. God sent John to prepare the way for Jesus Christ by preparing the people to be thinking on repentance in their spiritual need. Oh, how we need people to be thinking about their spiritual need today, don't we? Because most people, it never crosses their mind in a day's time. We need to spend more time on our own spiritual need. If we didn't, many of our physical needs would be resolved and become less important. So the baptism of Jesus Christ's disciples was like the baptism of John the Baptist and his disciples. So what we have here is the same work being done by two different groups. It should be welcomed. There were so many people coming. There was plenty of work for everyone to do. Think about Mif- Mifflinburg. There's a lot of, I've seen a lot of churches up here. A lot of churches all the way out to Belleville. A lot of churches. And we say, well, do we really need that many churches? Do we really need somebody to reopen these churches? You better believe it. Because there's more people in this area to go to church than there's enough churches to hold them. If everybody went to church. But the disciples of John became envious and maybe uh, protective of the ministry of John the Baptist, they may have had the thought, this Jesus who came to you to be baptized is now eclipsing your ministry. And as we often do when we are thinking this way, we tend to exaggerate, like in verse 26, everybody's going to him now. What's going to happen to you, John? What's going to happen to your ministry? There's a competition. John, you may lose your influence here. You may be second fiddle. How sad it is when we become jealous of another body of Christ where God is at work. Another ministry who's seeing the blessings of God poured out. Or another Sunday school class that's growing while ours is shrinking. Or someone else getting the opportunity to sing instead of me. Who are we being like when we begin to attack the work of God in the church? You know who we are? We're being Satan. Who are we when we cause discord among the brethren? By the way, the Bible says God hates discord among the brethren. Who do we think we are when we spout off things we do not know or assume about another person? We become the accuser of the brethren. And why do I do that? Because I must increase. Bullies attack other people to make themselves bigger, feared, and respected. It is usually done to an inferiority complex. And when we rise up like this, we need revival. We need to change the organizational chart in our soul and put God back at the top. We need to remove I from the throne of our life. And everything about me that is not Jesus is what, who is I and what is I. You see, we have believed the lie since the Garden of Eden. You will be like God. The fall made mankind believe we're something that we will never be outside of jesus the bible warns us much about self doesn't it in proverbs 14 16 it says a wise man fears and departs from evil but a fool rages and is self-confident second timothy 3 3 it says at the end of the age people will be unloving unforgiving slanderous without look self-control we see that today don't we Brutal, despisers of good. James 3.16, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. 2 Corinthians 12.20, for I fear lest when I come. I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. Lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults. He's talking about the church there. Philippians 2.3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Other ways I as described in the Bible is as flesh or carnal. In Romans 7.18, For I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells, for to, do, to, do, for to will is present with me, but how to reform what is good I do not find. In 1 Corinthians 3.3, For you are still carnal, For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? What stands between you and me and revival? I. I. I is what stands between us and revival. You see, the disciples of John the Baptist may have meant well, but they were thinking and acting selfishly, fleshly, and carnal. They were thinking as mere men, Certainly, it was not the Spirit of God that led them to attack the work of Jesus Christ. I wonder today, how are we doing as followers of Jesus Christ? Is there anything competing in your life for Jesus right now? Any jealousy in your life that wants more time for I? Are the steps of your life planning more for Jesus to increase or decrease over the few days of your life in the future? How do the plans of your life reveal what is increasing and decreasing in your life tonight, right now? What do you and I need to remember about I in order to have revival? The first thing we see in the text is this. The text reveals to us, who I am is because of Jesus. That's what we must remember first. Who I am is because of Jesus. In other words, the grace of the Christian life is given, not earned. A man, and as John addresses his disciples, notice how he explains when they go after Jesus and say, we got to stop what he's doing. John unpacks how they ought to respond to Jesus and why he must decrease and why Jesus must increase. And one of the things he tells them, look in the text, he says, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. John the Baptist was not serving Jesus to pad his resume. He did not apply for a job opening for a forerunner of Christ. John the Baptist was born in a supernatural way to old Zechariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth was related to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And John the Baptist was prophesied to come in the Old Testament to prepare the way of the Lord. That's what he was supposed to do. And the Lord Jesus had glowing words concerning John the Baptist, didn't he? In Luke chapter 7, verse 26 to 28, it says, but, but what did you go out to see? When he's talking about John the Baptist, a prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before you, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet. Jesus said this. There's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he, he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. John had large crowds coming out to him. He even gained notoriety with the Pharisees. They were mad at him. They were trying to stop him. John had disciples following him, calling him rabbi. John knew he was called by God for this purpose and was even told personally by the Holy Spirit. He would recognize the Lamb of God when he showed up. He would know who he was. And John, the Baptist, baptized Jesus Christ. If there was ever a man with pedigree, certainly it was him. If there was ever a man that could have a swelled head about what he had accomplished, it was John the Baptist. But we don't see that in John the Baptist at all, do we? He quickly clarified to his disciples, And it's not about me, folks. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about the work of God. It's never about the preacher. It's never about the leaders of the church. It's always about God. It must be about God. Why? Because leaders will fail you. I will fail you. I have flesh. I can fail you. But but God will never fail you. He'll never let you down. Which one of us saved ourselves? Which one of us climbed up to heaven and scribbled our name in the Lamb's book of life? What did I do to save myself? The answer is zero. Knowing we were saved by grace should humble us. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved.'" Amazing grace, John Newton. You know what? A Calvinist should be the most humble person on earth. It worries me when I see a a proud Calvinist. John the Baptist quickly separates himself from Jesus Christ. His disciples want him to pull rank, to show he was superior to his pupil, Jesus And John reminds him, I do not have that kind of authority. I am what I am because God gave me the authority to do that. And the authority that Jesus has is higher. I was born to do this. That I may point to him so the world will follow him. John quickly corrects a human error. Seeking after God was not the invention of man. God gave it. Religion can become very human or even connected to pagan religions and practices. But God is real. And He requires the worship of mankind. And He alone deserves the worship of mankind. Amen. Sometimes my eye wants to receive what I do not deserve. Even our salvation is not about us becoming spiritually woke. It is about God opening our eyes and our ears. It's about God giving us what we do not deserve. It's about God dying for our sins on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God. What do you have, especially spiritually, that God did not give you freely? That's what we come to in this point. That's the point John's making. We must decrease. He must increase. And when he increases church, revival comes to the church. Jesus Christ, whom John the Baptist introduced as the Savior. He is the one who died for John the Baptist and for you and for me. In another account, Jesus Christ told us in Luke 14, 8, 10, when you were invited or by some, anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best seat, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and in him will come and say to you, uh, give place to this man, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. Who is seating in the best seat in your life right now? You know what Judah said? Lord, is it I? John the Baptist knew his place. He knew what he was, and he knew what he was given by God. Folks, without Jesus Christ, I'm nothing. I'm hopeless, and I'm condemned. And I have no way to heaven Envy and jealousy have no place in the body of Christ. What spiritual thing do we have that we did not receive? And we cannot receive it unless God gives it. And the body of Christ is not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. We are in His body. We become one body and there's one fellowship in Jesus Christ. And the body is about us being the body of Christ on the earth now while He's in heaven. The body doing the work that He called us to do. Our life in Jesus Christ is not just about salvation. It's about fellowship. We live in Jesus. 1 John 1, 1.3 says that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul reminds us in Galatians 2.20, one of the most powerful verses in the Bible, right? Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, as far as this is I concerned, I'm going to give my life to Jesus and let Jesus decide what he'll do with it. That's all God's asking us to do, church. Bring your life, lay it down at the altar, lay it down in your pew, lay it down in your car, lay it down in your bedroom or your living room. Lay down your life and say, Jesus, here's my life. Do whatever you want to with it. And revival will come. How about it, Christian? Have we gotten over being saved? Revival comes when He increases in our life, and we decrease. We need to see ourselves in the light of the grace of God. Without God's grace, I am nothing. Who I am is because of Jesus. The grace of the Christian life is given, not earned. Now that's one step. The next step we find is what I am doing is about Jesus. The good of the Christian life is the gift of God. John answers again. He goes on to to explain even more. He says, You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before Him. You see, God did not save us to do church. God saves us to do His bidding from above. And we can do everything right as far as we know it as a church is concerned, but we may not be serving God. We may just be serving ourselves. We may just be fellowshipping within ourselves. The last thing the church needs to be is a social club. It needs to be a place where people pour out their heart to God and seek His face. A place where people know, Lord, if you don't go back out there with us in the world, we can't make it. And what will happen, we'll shut down like these churches here eventually. Somebody buys for $60,000. John the Baptist made it clear, he was not the Christ, not the Messiah. And he was not a, a title received by a human being. I confessed I cannot save you. My task, my calling is to reveal the one who can save you, whose sandals I'm not worthy to loose. What I'm doing is about Jesus. Can you and say, and I say on a daily basis, what I'm doing is about Jesus. What I'm doing is for Jesus, no matter where I'm at. You lose when our life gets out of tilters because I, ha- I has become too important. Controversy in the church is always about I. You know there have been church splits over one person getting more ham than somebody else at the fellowship? You know that? You know there have been church splits over what color the carpet is supposed to be in the church? I. I. Bitterness and resentment is all about I. Revival brings us back to that right relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, decrease does not mean quit. Someone say, Yeah, I'll be glad to decrease. Let somebody else do it. <laughs> Can't wait till I get off this committee. I won't be on the committees no more. They won't ever tag me for that again. If I can just stop, get through this, I will never ask to be do that again, right? No, now decrease doesn't mean quit. And the problem is too many Christians are quitting today. Why? It's getting a little more difficult. And they're falling away. Decrease does not mean we're going to do less. On the contrary, we will do more. Because we'll recognize it's not me. It's the power of Christ in me that's doing the work. Jesus Christ reminded His disciples in John 15, John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. What does He say? Well, without me you can do a little bit. Is that what He said? No, He said without me you can do absolutely nothing. Nothing. We can't do a thing as a body of Christ without Jesus Christ, without the Spirit of God's presence with us. What did Jesus Christ say you and I can do of eternal value without Him? Nothing. So when it comes to our works, we're reminded, unless our works are of God through us, they're valueless. Acts 5.38 says, And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. Folks, if, if, if our church is of the plan of men and women, it will come to nothing. It will come to nothing. Church, the works we do must be of God. We are totally dependent upon God's gifting us and gifting the congregation to do what God's called us to do. In Philippians 2.13, it says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do His good work, His good pleasure. A revived church is a working church because God is moving in that church for His good pleasure. I'm always embarrassed when I hear a pastor talk about, this is my church. Oh, let me, let me, My church is running 565,000 in Sunday school. Yeah. Or to hear members of the church say, this is my church. I want it this way because it's my church. No, it's not. It's not the pastor's church, and it's not the congregation's church. This is God's church, or it's not a church at all. The church belongs to Jesus Christ and exists for the purpose of doing His will. It is God alone who has gifted the body of Christ spiritually. Jesus Christ has given us the spiritual gifts. So what is your spiritual gift? what has God given you? If you've been saved, you've got at least one spiritual gift that God's given you. He's gifted you in that way. He's gifted you to put you in this body of Christ. Why? Because the body of Christ needs that spiritual gift to be complete. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. And He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. See what it says? It didn't say that God brings a couple people along to do all the work of the church. It says He brings these people in to equip the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. And the body of Christ does the work. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning crashes of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body, but edifying of itself in love. You see, the body grows when everybody is doing what God gifted them to do. And we're focusing on one. Why? Because we're all decreasing, and He's increasing. When all of our visions are focused on that one person, then the church is ready to move and do what God called us to do. Where does my life fit into this equation? Well, God has gifted us. If you've been saved, you've been given at least one spiritual gift. And I must exercise that gift for the edified of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Spiritual gifts were never given for our own edification, but to serve Christ. And we serve Christ when we serve the body. And Jesus Christ even told us, If you have done it unto the least of these, you have done it unto me. And in Romans chapter 12, he goes on to talk about this, this giftedness. And listen, remember, it's not that we have determined these gifts. God has given these gifts to us. So there again, it's all about God, right? Look at Romans twelve 3, 8. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function... So we being many are one in body in Christ and individually members of one another having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us let us what use them if prophecy let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry let us use it in our ministering he who teaches in teaching he who exhorts in exhortation he who gives with liberality who leads with diligence he who shows mercy with cheerfulness so the giftedness of God to us it's not about, look at me, look what I can do. You know what? I'm probably the greatest introvert in this room. My wife is the extrovert. I'm the introvert. That's why God put us together. You know, when, uh, when I'm up here, I'm doing what God has gifted me to do. Maybe not as well as it should be done, but I put everything I have to into it because I want to serve Him the best I can. But you know what? This is not me. I was the guy, when I went into a room full of people or a lot of people talking, I would be the guy sitting back in the corner in the chair like, please just don't talk to me. (laughs) I'm happy. Just let me have my cup of of Kool-Aid, and I'm happy. Just leave me alone. That's me. Anybody, any introverts in here, you know what that feels like, right? It's a horrible feeling when people start putting you into this emotional thing. Now, Marcia can walk in the room. Hello! And everything's fine, you know. And I'm like, okay, you take care of that part of it and I'll take care of this part. And when this is over, I go back down and guess what? I get right back into an introvert again. Why in the world would God ever call an introvert to be a pastor? Why would he do that? You know why? Because he's proven to me it's not about you, it's about me. It's not what you can do or your ability, it's what I can do. In fact, God will call you to the most uncomfortable fish position you can imagine to prove it's not about you, it's about Him. What is it tonight that you're resisting? You don't want to do, you're scared to do it. You know what? You can do it in the power of God, but not on your own power. Just as John the Baptist was sent before the first coming of Christ, you and I have now been sent before his second coming. And tomorrow night, Lord willing, unless Jesus comes back tonight, the plan tomorrow night is to end up this revival with, ready or not, Jesus is coming. We'll be talking about the second coming. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Go therefore, he says, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all things that I've commanded you. And look at the caveat, and lo, don't ever forget this. Look at the caveat. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Why is God telling us that? Because you and I can't do it on our own. It's the most difficult thing I've ever attempted to do in my life. It's anything spiritual. It's the most difficult thing. I, I used to work at the shipyard. Uh, for 15 years, I was, uh, was in uh, designing uh, nuclear submarines, uh, engine room in particular, and uh, did that for 15 years. 20 years before that, for 20 years, I worked with my dad in a cabinet shop. And uh, those kind of things are great. The physical things, you know, it was amazing jobs. Both of them were amazing jobs. And I could do that. I could learn how to do that task, that, that skill. But this is totally different. It's totally different. Our life is about using the gifts of God He gave us. Why? Because we want other people to see Jesus in us. What did Andrew tell his brother Peter? Come and see. Come and see the Messiah for yourself. What did Philip tell Nathaniel? Come and see. Some may say well I must decrease. It's just a figure of speech. Well is it? Well, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 9 says, But what things we are, were gained to me, Paul said, these I have accounted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Paul didn't believe it was a figure of speech. Paul knew he had to decrease. Our life in Jesus Christ now is about the fruit. And Romans 7, 4 says, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead. Look, Look, that we should bear fruit to God. You see, we can't bear fruit to be saved, but after we're saved, we bear fruit. That's the difference. But let us remember, church, our work will always be under the authority of God. That's why, that's why you and I have no authority to change the Word of God. We have no authority to say, well, the Bible may not say that anymore. Just because the world drifts further and further away from the truth, we don't have the authority to change it. And when we do change it, that's why some churches close. Because if the church is like the world, the world's already got all at wants of that. Nothing different. And the church is not a museum for saints. We must decrease. It is to be called a house of prayer. He must increase. See, so who I am is because of Jesus Christ. What I am about, about I'm, I'm doing is about Jesus Christ. And just one more, if you can hang with me uh, tonight, um, and this one will not be as long. Why I am is to exalt Jesus. You know, I have some older people sometimes that will tell me, I don't know why God's got me here. I don't know why I'm still here. I know why you're still here. I can tell you tonight to exalt Jesus Christ. He wants people 10 years old, 20 years old, 40 years old, 70 years old, and 100 years old being someone that's exalting Jesus Christ. That's why you're here. That's why God's got you here. You're not too old to do things. You can still worship the Lord Jesus Christ. You can still put on Christ when you go out there in that world. And you can still stand for him. And you can still love him with all your heart and mind and soul. You can exalt Jesus every day. Especially if you have a telephone. Use it for the glory of God. Amen. The goal of the Christian life then is Christ be exalted through my life. That's my goal. See, everything is centered around Jesus now. Jesus is the one that saved me. Jesus is the one that gifted me. Now I want to give my life to exalt him and his name. It says in the text, John said, He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. What did he say? I am so excited that I've seen Jesus. I'm so excited to know he's here because I know he's the Messiah and he's going to take away the sins of the world and ultimately the kingdom of God is coming. He was beside himself with giddiness and joy. Are you and I living a spiritual purpose in our life? The goal of self is self-gratification. Self, take your ease in life. Self finds its fulfillment in life from the old lie. Self seeks success by the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Self serves its own will. How foolish would it be when here comes the broad plays and here comes the, the best man sashaying down the aisle? Yeah. But we're called to rejoice over the bridegroom, aren't we? Are we rejoicing over the bridegroom, church? He might come tonight. The Jewish wedding centered around the bridegroom, not the bride. And our life is absolutely about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the bridegroom that is preparing a place for His bride. And one day, He's coming again to take us home. John rejoices in the bride coming to Christ, not coming to him. What will it be like one day to hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ? And here it is in Revelation twenty two seventeen, 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts who come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. We join with the Spirit of God calling people to Jesus. It is our joy fulfilled. It is the most exciting thing we ever do when we see somebody saved. That is exactly what John the Baptist is talking about here. I am so excited that Messiah has come. I am the friend of the bridegroom, the best man if you will. But my task is to give my allegiance and my support and everything I have and everything I'm living for to Jesus Christ. God needs nothing but He allows me to serve Him and see the fruit of the Spirit of God before my eyes. What a privilege it is to stand before the body of Christ and bring the Word of God. You know what? We can hand a track to somebody. They're not going to kill us. If they do, we're going to be with Jesus. And we can say, let me tell you about my Jesus. God saved us to glorify His name. God saved us to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And our goal is to live as much of our life as we can for Jesus. How much of my life can I burn up for Jesus? How much of my life can I live for Him? And God placed this church on this corner in Mifflinburg to be a witness for Jesus Christ, to be a powerful voice in Mifflinburg against the darkness in love. There's not a miserable Christian cannot be, that cannot be filled with the joy if they serve the bridegroom. It's the only fulfilling thing you'll ever do in your life. I've tried other things, nothing has come close. touching this nothing behold the lamb of god that takes away the sins of the world the christian life is not a not a boring religion it's about action it's about transformation we are the bride of christ and we have his engagement ring the spirit of god we are waiting for his coming and we serve him while we wait Did the Lord Jesus Christ increase after John the Baptist? Oh, yes, He did, didn't He? Will the Lord Jesus Christ increase after you're in the grave? Oh, yes, He's going to increase. Nothing's going to slow that down. He's only going to increase more and more and more. Jesus Christ must increase, and He will increase. And the knowledge of the Lord, the Bible tells us, will fill the entire earth. And no longer will people say you need to know the Lord, Jeremiah the prophet says, because everybody's going to know who He is in the world. This line of Judah is going to sit on that throne in Jerusalem, the throne of David, soon. And everyone will know Jesus is the real Messiah. He's the real Christ. He is the Son of God. The world will go after Him, the Bible says, and the new heaven and new earth will know only God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God forever. And Christ must increase, and He will increase. And here's the aha moment for the Christian. that only good in me is God. The only meaningful work I do with my life is through the Spirit. And the only reason I'm a Christian is because of what Jesus Christ did for me. In that case, Lord, may I decrease and may You increase in my life tonight. Decrease means the shrinking eye. I must decrease. Maybe i got too many things planned for my life to serve God and maybe it's time to cut some of them out. Maybe I'm serving in so many different positions and so many different committees and organizations of the, of, the, of the community, so many other things I'm doing. I just don't have time for God. Then maybe it's time to cut some of that out. Maybe it's time to put God first. Who am I? Nothing without Jesus. Just a bunch of dust that God breathed life into. 1 John 2.17 says, and the world is passing away and lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Conclusion says, who I am is because of Jesus. What I am doing is about Jesus. And why I am is to exalt Jesus. That's who I am. That's who we are. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Fathers, we bow before You tonight. Oh, Father, we pray that we would not miss the moment to decrease and You increase. Lord, there may be a lot in our, on our plate and there's nobody and no family, nobody that doesn't have troubles. Everybody has problems. Everybody has a plate full today and it's running over into the trash can. It's more than we can handle sometimes and we don't know what to do with it all. And Lord, you tell us in your words so clearly and we read it and we hear it and we understand it, but yet we don't do it. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Oh, Father, may we return to you being the great I Am in our life. And may we step down and glorify you. Thank you for saving us by your grace or we wouldn't even be here tonight. Father, thank you for gifting us with the Spirit of God, or we would not be a part of the body of Christ. We would have nothing to offer in the body of Christ. Thank you for including everybody, everybody that's been saved by God's grace. Everybody is gifted by you, Lord. And Lord, sometimes you gift us in areas that will prove that I is not the one that's doing it, God's doing it. And Lord, we pray that our life would be for the one purpose to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Forgive me, Lord, for all the times i missed divine appointments. And Lord, as I walked away, I heard the Spirit speak to my heart. You should have spoke for me right there. There was an opportunity right there in front of you. And Lord, even since I've been up here at night, when I review the day, Lord, I look back and say, there it was, right there, right there. And I was busy moving on, Lord. Help us, Father, to see our divine appointments you give us every day, an opportunity to exalt Jesus Christ. Lord, will you touch our heart tonight? When you become first in our life again, then, Lord Jesus, we have had revival. When you become first in this church body again, then the church body corporately has had revival. But it all begins with the individual. Lord, will you speak to our hearts tonight? And maybe there's someone here that's never trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They can't say that Jesus Christ is their Savior. They can't say that they know that Jesus Christ is, had died for them on the cross and rose again from the dead. They've never trusted you, Lord. We pray tonight your spirit would speak to them, oh God, and that they have that on their heart and you lay that on their heart to understand their need, then, oh Father, I pray they would not leave tonight until they do business with that. Lord, we invite you to come in this time of invitation, the most holy moment of the service, the moment when we are being touched by the Word and now the Spirit is speaking to our heart that we need to respond. We need to do something about it. We need to rededicate. We need to refocus our life, surrender ourselves to the, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ again. And Lord, I lead all, lead all that's in this room. I first, Lord God. I rededicate myself to the cause of Jesus Christ being first and foremost in my life. Lord, may I be used by You. And may You receive all the glory from my life, Lord. For flesh can't hold glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wayne, this is our time of invitation. God bless you.
1: I wonder tonight if, uh, would you stand with me? We just want to take a, a few minutes as we pray and Continue to ask Jesus to increase and us to to decrease tonight as we close out this service, if we would just take some time and quiet ourselves and as Pastor Kevin has, has spoken and we must decrease and he must increase. And maybe that moment of rededication tonight to say, Jesus, I want it to be all about you. I want my life to be about you. I want my heart and my influence uh my circle of influence that people would see in me that it's not about me it's it's about him i want to i want to inf- i want to be an influence that people see jesus and god help my life and my spirit god to be right before you god i I pray you would help my spirit and my heart tonight to be totally God given to you and your will and the future and this church, God, this ministry, this place that we have an opportunity to share together. Oh, God, that you would increase that Jesus would be seen in our lives and in our desires and our attitudes and the things that we embrace in life, that Jesus would be bigger, God, I pray. Oh, Lord, help us to have that spirit and attitude that we would see others, Lord, better than ourselves as Paul writes, "God, it would be about people coming to faith in Christ." God, check my heart tonight. Check our hearts tonight, God. I pray, oh Lord, tender our hearts. I pray. Thank you that you call us. You promise to come and fill us, and your Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us and Tonight that there would be a a humility before you, Lord Jesus, I pray. Thank you that you're a great God. Thank you that you make it possible. Thank you that you do it within your people. Because it's your Holy Spirit that touches and cleanses and changes, God. We thank you for that tonight. Thank you for the call. Thank you for the truth. God, Help us to decrease and you to increase. I pray, in Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. I think I'm going to invite you to come back tomorrow night, like we did last night, and come to the church. Beginning, uh, beginning of the service, five till ten till seven tomorrow, and just start this service at the altar, uh, praying and seeking God all these scriptures. I just thank you, Pastor Kevin, that God's gifted you when you preach that you put 50 scriptures up. I do about 20, I think. I mean, I just thank you that God uses you for that. That's that's a blessing. Man, I it's like every third or fourth one, I think, wait a minute, I just got to think about that one more and more. It's so true. It's so good. Come tomorrow night if you can. Come a little early. If you can and sit up here toward the front, or some of you feel comfortable kneeling and sitting, or wherever. But let's let's come back tomorrow night and just keep praying. I would be less, and Jesus would be more. That'd be a great way to start a Wednesday night, wouldn't it? Thank you for being here tonight. Anybody have anything you feel like God's saying in your heart, and you want to share tonight? Just wondering. Anybody just have something to say? It's been a good night. Jay.
0: I just feel like um God is really telling me tonight that I just need to not re- need to recommit myself and um allow Him to use me.
1: Amen. Oh God. It's like God uses an introvert here, however He does. God uses everybody. That's so true what you said about that. Every believer God gives a gift to because He said He did. And He will. So whoever you are tonight, God has something for you in the kingdom of God. He has a place, a way, to use what He gifts He gives you in order to, to, to live out your life in faith and influence in other people's lives. Thank God. Thank you, Jay. Dear Father, I thank you for Jay tonight. I thank you for his tender heart. Thank you for a young man that loves you, loves to serve you, loves to serve people. Oh God, show Jay what you want for his life, I pray. God, you've heard his sincere prayer tonight. You know his heart. God, just show him what you want. Bless him, I pray, God. Anybody else have anything you want to share tonight? Okay. Thank you for being here. God bless. Hope you have a good day. I hope your day gives you the privilege to be here tomorrow night. And pray together and seek God's Spirit Wednesday night. Thanks for being here. God bless. Thank you, Pastor Kevin.